As we continue studying in the wonderful letter for James, I just cannot get over it, the fact that every time that we're reading every chapter, we're getting closer and closer to realize that there are so many things that, that we don't know. And things that we think we know, we tend to forget. And mostly, that is because we forget to put in practice. If there is one word that we can use that is the theme of the entire book of James, is results. We need to show results. On June 30th, uh, in 1859, Charles Blondin became the first man in history to walk on a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. Over 25,000 people gathered to watch him walk 1,100 feet on a tiny rope suspended 160 feet above the raging waters of the falls. He walked across several times, and as the crowds gathered around him, he stopped and asked the audience this question. Do you believe I can carry a person across in a wheelbarrow? The crowd enthusiastically responded, yes, we believe. We believe you can do that. Okay, said Blondie. So who wants to get into the wheelbarrow? No surprisingly, no one volunteered. This is a, a very good illustration about what we're going to be developing this morning, the idea that we're going to be talking about this morning. And that idea is a workless faith is a worthless faith. A workless faith is a worthless faith. Someone once said that faith is like the calories. You cannot see them but you can be sure about the results. And we're going to be seeing this morning something in, interesting about what real functioning faith is all about. What real functioning faith will always, always, always be demonstrated by the flow of our works, by the things that we do. There has been a lot of confusion when we get to these Verses to these passages in the scriptures. Genesis, I'm sorry, James chapter 2, verses 14 to 27, has been the most controversial passages in the book of James, even in the entire New Testament in many ways. And the reason is because we forgot to, to pay attention about what is, who is the audience that he's writing these letters. You know, at the beginning, we noticed that he opened the letters referring to brothers and sisters. Where Jewish Christians scattered all over Palestine. And eventually, you will see that again, he uses brothers and sisters just to make sure that those who are reading the letter understand that he is addressing these words to Christians, to believers in Christ. And the confusion through the time is because some people claim that James is contradicting what Paul, the apostle, said 
in many of the letters of the New Testament that he wrote. That salvation is by faith, not by works. This uh, apparent contradiction caused that the great reformer Martin Luther labeled the letter of James the right strawy epistle. And because it was a strawy epistle, he felt like throwing it into the stove and burning it. He didn't want James to be in the Bible. I'm so glad that in his sovereignty, he kept this word. He kept this letter for us. And why Martin Luther was thinking this way? Because he mistakenly believed that James, the emphasis that he was making in his letter specifically in verse 24, is contradicting what Paul said on Romans 3.28. That we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. James in 2.24 says, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. So it seems like apparently they are talking about different things, contradicting one another. And that's why Luther didn't want this letter. And don't blame him. The poor guy, I mean, he, he was raised and he was trained in a faith, in a different faith. He was a monk, a Catholic monk. So he obviously learned that in order to earn God's favor, he has to do something. When he became a believer, in many ways, he stopped in, into, the, into the letter to the Romans written by Paul and discovered that it's just by faith that a man can be justified. So when he read James, he was thinking, I, 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 I don't get it. You're telling me to go back to my old beliefs. So he, he was processing. But a closer look to the letter of James, what he wrote will reveal that not only James does not contradict Paul, but actually complement what he's saying. I told you before that the letter of James... <laughs> is supposed to be one of the first letters written, even before the letters of Paul. So let's see if I can explain to you, share with you something that is helpful to help us to understand that the letter of James doesn't contradict the letters of Paul. For instance, what could be some of the differences? Well, Paul stresses the root of salvation while James is talking about the fruit after salvation. That's a big difference. One is talking about the root of salvation, meaning is faith in Christ plus nothing else. But James is talking about the result of being saved. And it's translated in good deeds. So Paul is talking about root. James is talking about fruit. The next one, Paul looks at the life of the believer from God's perspective. James looks at life from human perspective. Imagine Paul sitting in a den looking at the fireplace, looking at the fire inside the fireplace. That's, that's in some ways Paul looking there. And James is outside looking up through the chimney, seeing all the smoke that is coming out from the chimney. That's the point of view. One is thinking about what God sees. The other one is thinking about what man sees. 
Another important topic here is about the word justification. Justify to declare righteous. They both use the same word, justify, be justified or justification, but the meaning is different. Paul used the word to mean justification before God based on faith alone. In other words, proclaim innocent even in the state of sin. Pro proclaim somebody innocent, righteous, even if that person continues in the stage of sin. It's just a proclamation. Well, James, on the other hand, uses the word to talk about justification before men based on good works. In other words, proved innocent by the good works, good deeds that a person can do. So Paul sees faith as a volitional trust. It shows how a believer, an unbeliever, can become a believer, a Christian. And James sees faith as an experiential Experiential knowledge. It shows how a believer lives his Christian life. So Paul is seeing works as the works of the law. James is seeing works as the acts of love and service. Do you see why the two complement each other? One is showing us the way that we can make peace with God. The other one is showing us a way that we can grow and mature in the knowledge of God is two sides of the same coin. And I love the way that Bible commentator W.H. Griffith Thomas put it. He says, it has been well said that Paul and James are not soldiers of different armies fighting against each other, but soldiers of the same army fighting back to back against enemies coming from opposite directions. They complement each other. And it's important to start putting this clearly so we can go and dive into the Word so we can understand what James is coming from. So this makes a lot of sense when we consider the situation that James' audience was going through, the problems, the struggles that they were facing as they were scattering, running away from the persecution. They were trying to figure out how to live a life with each other in the new thing called church. They were facing persecution from other Jews who used to be their friends, even family members. They were having a hard time getting along with each other as well. They didn't know how to pray or when to pray or what to pray for. So James is giving them a crash course in personal discipleship. So, we see this right away in verse 14. You go to verse 14, and you know that James is opening this section with two rhetorical questions. Both of them are expected to provide an answer, and the answer has to be no. So, let's look at these two questions. First, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, here you go again, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your action. We could reward this question like this. If someone says he has faith, but doesn't have works, it's not really any good, isn't it? So the key word here is good. What that means, it could be translated beneficial, 
advantage or profitable. That's the meaning of the original Greek word for that. So James isn't considering salvation with a question. He is basically saying that if someone says to have faith, if their action is not showing it or reflecting it, so that person doesn't have any benefit for the faith that he or she claims to have. It's good for nothing. It's useless. So the second question, go deeper a little bit and continue saying, can that kind of faith save anyone? Obviously, the answer is no. Let me paraphrase, reformulate this question. That kind of faith can save him, can it? Cannot save him, can it? So, sadly, when some of the Bible translators were putting the word, they, they, they removed the word that, which it really is really unfortunate because James is not writing about faith in general. He says, talking about a specific type of faith, the kind of faith that is not accomplished, that is not accomplished by works. So, it's so important that we can understand what James is talking about when he is referring to the word salvation as well. He's using the word salvation. And generally, we think salvation about the salvation that we have for the eternal condemnation. But we need to understand that the word salvation in the Bible has different meanings. It depends on the context. From the five different ones, I'm going to provide to you three. And it depends what tense is being used here. For instance, salvation in the past tense is being saved from the penalty of sin at the very moment when you are place your, your faith in Jesus Christ as a Savior. So you are justified before God, declared innocent. So past tense, saved from the penalty of sin. Also is in the future tense, and it refers to being saved in glory from the presence of sin, one day when we are no longer on this earth, on this body, when we are on a glorified state, sin is going to be no problem anymore. But at that moment, we continue facing. So what James is referring is the third tense, the present tense of salvation. Being saved from the power of sin and becoming more, more like Jesus. The goal of uh, the good works is to complete our faith. In other words, is to perfectionate our faith. So James is focusing here on how works are necessary to make us more mature spiritually. This is why it's important to understand this concept, this idea that a worthless faith, a workless faith is a worthless faith. So maturing our faith requires the kind of faith that has to be accompanied by works, especially good works. We cannot have one without the other one. Somebody put it this way in an illustration. Somebody in a boat with two oars, and they put a sign in one oar that says faith, and in the other oar that says works. So if you are using the oars to move into the water, Imagine what will happen if you have only one, faith. You go nowhere. You need the other one. 
so you can start moving. That's exactly what James is telling us here. You cannot have one without the other one. Both are important and necessary for you to mature, to grow, to grow the way that God wants you to see it. Then James is telling us that there are at least four kinds of faith. And in these next verses from 14 to 25, we see these four, four kinds of faith. The first one is the saying faith. The saying faith. Repeat after me. Saying faith. Thank you. Unfortunately, I am very familiar with this kind of faith. Because at one time, that's all what I had. When I was in college, a young man from Campus Crusade crew, for many of you, was in our campus and for different circumstances, and I know the Lord orchestrated those circumstances, he happened to share with me the gospel. And um, I remember that at the end of the presentation of the four spiritual laws, he asked me if I, if I can pray for, with him. And I say a prayer. It's called the sinner's prayer. And for a moment, if you ask me in the past, are you a Christian? I would say yes, because I say the prayer. But to be honest, if I'm going to be completely honest, even if I say the prayer, it didn't mean anything for me at that moment. It took years. I would continue doing the same stuff that I was doing. Nothing happened to me. It was just a declaration about a faith. A saying faith. So, this is what James is talking about here in verse 14. If you say you have faith, but honestly, at that time in my life, I didn't know what good my faith was doing to me. And I didn't know what good my faith was doing to anybody around me. So, looking back now, I don't really think that I was disciple of Jesus at the time. That came, came later. And I guess only God knows if I was really believing or not at the time. But I do know that whatever kind of faith I had at this point was certainly not good based on James' terms here. The second, second type of faith is emotional faith. Repeat after me, emotional faith. In verses 15 to 18, we read the follow, following. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Today is uh, equivalent to be aware of the needs of our brother and sister from Christ and just send in a text, I'm praying for you. I hope all is well. God will take care of you. We say it. We feel it. We are sincere. But that was it. Specifically, if I got the means to be the answer of that prayer, and I'm not doing anything, what good is that saying does to me or to the person? That's what James is telling us here. 
Don't just say, I'll pray for you. One, what about you praying at that moment for that person right there? Secondly, if the person is asking the Lord to provide food, what about you invite the person to eat something? I mean, close by, there are great pupusas over here, and I'm not advertising anything. You can take the person and enjoy the meal together. But James is telling us here, don't just say the things, just do it. Don't be, don't be emotional. Don't do an emotional reaction of the situation. If we are not willing to turn those feelings into action, what good does that? By the way, this is another violation of what James told us about the royal law. Remember the last, the last week, the royal law? To love your neighbor of yourself? So, verse 17 is telling us, so you see, in other ways, as you know, as you can see, as you are really aware, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Dead and useless. There was a, a song a long time ago that I tried to remember because it was so funny for me. Love and marriage. Remember that? Love and marriage. Go together like a horse and carriage. And you wonder how we're going to translate that in the Spanish service? You just need to join me in the second service. <laughs> because that song doesn't exist in the Spanish. But what, what I'm trying to explain here is faith and words go together like a horse and carriage. You cannot separate them. It has to work together. It has to come together. James is illustrating here this principle, this truth in a very unique way. And this is very important because pay attention about what you read in the Bible. James is explaining something. And then he's giving you illustrations. And then he's quoting somebody else in his audience. And that's so important because we are so prone to take the text out of context and then try to tell others what James is saying. And James is not saying these things. That's why James in verse 18 says this. Now, someone, not him, someone in the audience, someone who knows him may argue. In quotations, he says, some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, now James is speaking. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. The word show means to bring to light, to display, to exhibit, to put on display. That's what the word means. Do your best to show me your faith without using works, and I'll demonstrate my faith by my works. We'll see which one of us really has faith. However, some might argue. Look, there are all kinds of Christians in this world. Some of them have a gift of works. Others have a quiet, never displaying their faith, and they're believers. But that's like saying that some people have uh, the gift of breathing and others don't. We delude ourselves when we think that it doesn't matter whether 
you have an evidence of your faith or not. James is arguing this very strongly. Either you have faith or you don't. And the only way that we can see your faith is not doing surgery in your heart. It's just by the fruit you produce in your character and in your conduct. Because the justification by faith that he's talking about is basically the evidence before others. Not God, because he is the one who can see our hearts, but others, that actually there is something happening inside us. So that's what we can see as an emotional faith. We need to react to that. The third kind of faith that we find in verse 19 is intellectual faith, knowledge faith. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Again, James is He's talking about this other person in the audience that is questioning him. A person who's trying to demonstrate to James that you can actually have faith without having works. And he's presenting an example. Look at, look at what he's saying. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. James is talking about the argument that this person says, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but it doesn't mean if I don't have the other one, I still can have faith. James is telling that, you say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. In other ways, you might have the correct theology. Good luck, join the demons. They also have the correct theology. The only difference, this person who was talking to James is saying, you know, uh, you have faith and you good do this. The demons have faith and he, they, they, don't, they don't do good deeds. So we all can have whatever. It's relative. James responded to him and says, oh, how foolish. Verse 20. How, how can you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Just because Satan has the correct Theology, but he doesn't do anything, and some other people have the correct theology and do something, that doesn't mean that, that you can have both. You don't understand him. James is not trying to insult the intelligence of the intellectuals. He is mocking those religious intellectuals who have to debate religious truth, but have no plans whatsoever to commit themselves to follow Jesus Christ. And this is what is dangerous. Because this is the problem that we have with Christianity today. We have uh, believers who are totally anorexic because they don't feed themselves with the word of God. So they don't have the strength to exercise their faith. And then we have the bulimic ones who are stuffed with, with the word of God uh, to the point that they are throwing up. But they don't do anything because, because they love to talk about faith. But they don't do anything with the faith. So James is very clear here. If you say you have faith, show me. Show me. Never going to forget the story of the little girl in Sunday school when she came and she was kind of quiet. Mom, asked her on the way back home, what happened, sweetie? Well, the teacher this morning in Sunday school told us that that Jesus is God and he is so big. That's true. 
Jesus is huge. He's God. He's so big. So he was quiet. Following Sunday, she was not just contemplative. She was mad, upset. He said, what happened, sweetie? Why are you upset? Remember last week that I told you that teacher said that Jesus was so big? Yes. Well, what do you think he, he, she told us today? That if we open our hearts, Jesus can come in to live into our hearts. Yes, that's true. And what's the problem? It's a problem. Why? Because he's going to get out of it. He's going to grow. It's, it's so big. He doesn't fit in here. It will show. Oh, that's a correct theology. If you say you have Jesus in your heart, let it show it. Let, it, let us see it. Don't keep it to yourself. Many Christians are probably the, the secret service of Christian faith. Nobody knows what they believe. They just claim to their believers. The only way that we as human beings can see the faith is by the fruit that you produce. So we see the different kind of faith. We see the last kind of faith here. The only kind of faith that can do what God is expecting us to do. A demonstrated faith. And he is giving us two examples to illustrate this kind of faith. He's talking about Abraham and Rahab. He says in verse 21, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac at the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scripture said, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. Let me pause there. James is saying something interesting here that probably contradicts what Paul says in Romans. That Abraham was justified by his faith, not by the works. And he's saying that he was justified by the works, not necessarily by his faith. They're complementing each other because if you pay attention to what happened here, Abraham believed in God. When he asked him to leave parents and land, he believed in God and left everything to go to a place that he didn't know. That's faith that moved to the action because he obeyed. Forty years later, the Lord tested faith when he asked him to offer his only son as a living sacrifice for him. But the faith already occurred. It's just that the faith needs to grow to the point like that faith is start giving fruit. That's the reason why he was willing to do that with all the fear that he might have and offer his only son as a sacrifice. He knew God. He believed in God. He probably thought, if he is the one who gave it to me when there was no possibilities, he easily can bring it back from, from the dead. But that action caused him to be justified to the eyes of men, not to the eyes of God. And lastly, strengthen his faith. He uses this illustration, and he uses Rahab, verse 25. Rahab, the prostitute. And every time that you read Rahab, it has a last name here, the prostitute. It's another example, he says. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she said those 
when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. James couldn't pick two of the more opposite people to prove that our works prove our faith. For instance, Abraham was a man. Rahab was a woman. In this culture, it meant a lot. Abraham was a Hebrew. Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a noble Chaldean. Chaldean. Rahab was a despised Canaanite. Abraham was a man of good moral character. Rahab was a prostitute. Abraham was at the top of the social order. Rahab was at the bottom. Yet, both of them evidenced the same kind of faith. Abraham justified, proved his faith by offering his son Isaac. And Rahab demonstrated her faith when she risked her life to protect two Israelite spies. As a result, both of them are included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1. Not only that, both of them are included in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11 because of their faith. They believe, they trust. Rahab, when she saw the spies, he said, hey, I know your God and I believe in your God. So come, let me hit you here. So she believed first, she had faith first, and then she proved her faith by doing some action, even to the point of lying. And you might say, oh, it's correct to lie? That's a subject for another sermon, believe me. <laughs> but in this case, it's okay. When you are a sinner and you're going to commit two sins, you need to make sure what is the one who dishonors the Lord more. But that's another subject. Don't, don't blame me for that. Paul and James are referring back to Genesis 15, where Abraham was declared righteous before God as a result of his faith, not as a result of anything that he did. His faith. So we can see that Paul equates faith with Abraham's justification before God, and both occurred at the same time. It just happened that 34 years later, it was a time to prove that faith. That faith came to fulfillment in Genesis 22. Abraham demonstrated his faith by taking his son Isaac. The son of God promised, the, the, the son that God promised he would give him. That obedience did not, did not in any way justify him one bit in the sight of God. But it was the demonstration of his faith that resulted for him to become known as the friend of God. That is the justification by works that James is referring here. So this is why we say this all day this morning. Workless faith is a worthless faith. We need to show our faith by the good deeds that we do. In verse 26, there is a concluding principle. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And the word dead here is actually the meaning of, in the, Greek, in the Greek language, separation. That's what it means, separation. If it's physical, death is a physical separation from your soul, from your body. If it's a spiritual separation, it means the eternal condemnation, separated to get forever. So, basically, James is telling us here 
that if we have faith but no words, we are just like a cradle corpse. We are a body, lifeless, who claim to believe something that actually we, don't, we cannot demonstrate. James is not saying that salvation is dependent on our works. Nor is he trying to make us produce more work out of guilt and fear. He is only questioning those who say they are Christians, but whose lives never show any evidence of the claim. If you say you are saved, why doesn't your life show it? So the next time that you're singing the little kid's song, if it's true that you are saved, say amen. Finish when you sing the last stanza. Let it show it. Let it show it. Two ways that we can put in practice in an application. The first one, based on last week's sermon and this one, obey what you know. If you know God, if you know the word of God, just obey what he says on his word. You might be asking what obedience has to do with love. Well, it's so simple. Jesus told us in John 14, 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each one of them. So if you really love Jesus, you will obey his commands. If you don't do that, just do it out of gratitude for what he's done in your life. The second is, as you have the opportunity, do good to others. Sometimes all we can do for somebody else is to pray, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray for other people. But I do wonder how many times in our lives God wants us to be the answer to those prayers that we are doing for others. I wonder how many times God wants us to provide a meal for the hungry person or to give one of the coats to another person who is in a cold weather. Paul will agree with James 100% with this idea. When he wrote to Galatians, in Galatians 6.10, he said, Therefore, whenever we had the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of the faith. As a closing moment, I want to I pray. But I want you to think in two, in two, in two ways. First, I want you to, to think in what ways, in what practical ways, you can apply these principles into your life. Specifically, I want, you, I want you to encourage you to ask God to show you what areas in your life you are not obeying his command. And he will tell you, believe me, he's ready to show you in which areas you're not being obedient. Secondly, ask him to show you this week where you can take some practical steps to do good to someone else, except someone in your own family. Someone that you probably have as a neighbor, co-worker, or somebody else in the street that you don't know. Ask God to, to reveal that to you. I'm pretty sure that that prayer will be answered almost instantly because a person will come to your mind or a person will come to your way. Apparently, one of these many trips across the Niagara Falls, Charles Blondin did actually push a wheelbarrow from the Canadian side back to the U.S. side. But no one had enough faith to, to get into the wheelbarrow. But 
On August 14, 1859, his own manager, Harry Colcord, got Blondin back and let Blondin carry him across. That, my friends, is the kind of demonstrative faith that God wants for each one to have. The faith that can trust. The faith that even though we don't have all the details, we trust that God will do what he says he will do. And just rely on him and his sovereignty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that your word is so powerful. It's direct. And it cut through the more internal parts of our body, in our, in our souls. We want to ask you, Lord, that you can reveal us today. In, we, in what ways we have been disobedient to your word? Yes, we are prone to have a conversation around the table about spiritual things. We love to debate about our beliefs and how others believe. We even criticize others for not having the truth and having a wrong gospel. But how many times we who claim to have the truth are not putting our faith to work and that faith is worthless. That is nothing good. It doesn't produce anything good for me to know all the truth and not to have the love for others and show that I love them but the good deeds they do to others. Father, help us also to be more sensitive to the needs of others. In this society, in this culture that we live, it's so easy, Father, to be consumed with our own needs, thinking that the things that we're experiencing, the things that we do, are the first world problems. Nobody else has these problems. Not knowing that the person who crossed the street from us is having a more difficult situation than us. Help us to be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Who might incline us to stop at HEV and get a, a gallon of milk and just deliver it into a random door. Just, Father, help us to be more sensitive to your word so we can experience more and more of the presence of your life in ours. We are going to be the only Bible that many people will read, not by the things that we say, but the things that we do, Lord. And it's so sad that what we say is just noise that stops people from listening to the things that we can do. And by the power of your word and what James is telling us today, help us to be doers, not just hearers of your word. Help us to have a faith that is not just a same faith or the emotional faith or intellectual faith, but a demonstrative faith. So that way, Father, I can feel comfortable when you call me my friend, like Abraham did.
like Rahab did. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And may that word to have an echo in our hearts and move us into action today. It's in your son that we pray. And everybody said.